All right, we're in a series, and I, I will admit, it's not like I'm admitting something you don't know. I'm a nerd, got it, I'm not offended by that at all. We started a new series called Spirit Wars, and we've been having fun and playing off Star Wars a little bit. Last week, from, from my perspective up here, I could tell which ones of you got it in terms of, yeah, you're Star Wars nerds, and which ones of you weren't. Um, because there was over a dozen references to it, and there was about a half a dozen quotes, and some of you got that, and I could see by your faces, and some of you like, it was like, and that's perfectly okay, because you didn't need to get it, but I thought that might be a little too obscure. Um, We're talking this week, this is, I was going to say part two, this is episode two in our series, and we're talking about opening our eyes to the unseen world. So I'm going to show you something that even if you're not a Star Wars person, even if you're not that kind of a nerd, I have a feeling you're probably going to recognize this. So show the next picture. Unless you've been under a rock for 40 years, you've probably seen this somewhere. I had somebody come up to me in, in, for, after first service and said, I have never seen Star Wars. So I prayed for them. No, I didn't. <laughs> but even they had seen this, Okay. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Here's the thing. What we're going to talk about today is in the series on spiritual, the fact that there are, 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 there's a spiritual war going on, whether you recognize it or not. We're going to talk today about opening our eyes to that and seeing that. And for some people, for maybe for some of you in here, it's, um, that's, this is what you think of when you think of that. Yeah, it's a long time ago, a galaxy far, far away. It really doesn't affect me. Maybe, maybe it's not so long ago. Maybe it's now. Maybe it's not so far away. Maybe it's here. And maybe it's really important for us to get that. And maybe our eyes just aren't open to it yet. Um, Maybe our eyes are closed to that and we're not seeing it. And because of that, there is an effect. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to just dive right into the deep end today. We kicked off our series last week. It was kind of a preface last week. If you haven't heard it, you can get a CD or you can go online, iloveourchurch.com or iTunes has them, and you can listen to last week's. We, it was kind of a preface, and, and really, um, everything we talk about in the series in terms of, sp- of spiritual warfare and the internal battles that we face every day, no matter what, if you know Jesus as Savior... If you have received Jesus, you not just believe, but you've received Jesus and you're a follower of Jesus, no matter what, we win with Jesus. You see, Jesus' resurrection has decided the war. I, I read the last chapter. We win, but we still have battles to face. You recognize that every day. We're going to spend the rest of this series trying to figure out, trying to learn what the the Bible says about how to fight. Because we're going to be in a battle anyhow. We might as well know how to fight. Um, You need to know that for me, I held this up, the Bible up. For me, the Bible is the one and only perfect authority on all matters of faith and practice. This is God's word. And I I hear a lot of people say, well, I wish life came with an instruction manual. It did. (laughs) Here it is. This... The Bible is God's word to us. I value the ideas of other thinkers. I read as much as I can. I value the other works of literature, okay? Like, for instance, in the realms of, of, of other thought and human psychology and all kinds of stuff. 
all those things have their place and are important, but the Bible alone is breathed out by God. He's the one who gave this to us. So it teaches us, this Bible teaches us, there is a spiritual heavenly realm that we can't see or sense with our experience yet. And so because we can't see it or sense it, too many people say, yep, yep, not interested, not important, it's not really there. See, here's the funny thing. We often believe in things we really wish to and want to believe in. I know a lot of people who, do you believe in heaven? Yes. Do you believe in angels? Yes. Do you believe in hell? No. Do you believe in demons? No. I don't want to believe in those. I want to believe in heaven and angels. And we choose what we want to believe in very often. But here's the thing. We have to embrace that invisible spiritual things can be just as real as anything we can physically see, taste, or touch in this world. Just because we can't see, taste, or touch them physically doesn't mean that they're not real. We mentioned this verse last week that we're going to cover this week. The Bible puts it this way in Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Because if, if, if you're alive and breathing today, the devil has schemes for you. He has, he has, uh, God has a purpose for your life, and it's an amazing one. The devil has a purpose for your life too. Not so amazing. And he's worked really hard at coming up with some schemes, and we don't want to fall against those. So it says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And it's interesting. In some of the older translations, it says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Most of the newer translations said, you know, our fight, our struggle is with, um, is not against flesh and blood. It's interesting because the word is the same word that would be used if you had, um, and they did this in ancient times, just like they do now, a wrestling match. When you have a wrestling match with somebody, you're up close and personal. It's a one-on-one thing. That's the word that's used here. He said, Satan has schemes for you, and our struggle, our wrestling match, our one-on-one battle is not against flesh and blood. You see, he's not necessarily just talking about, here's the church's battle. That's not what it's about. It's about your battle. Because you have a battle. You know that. You struggle with it every single day in many different ways. He said, our struggle, our individual one-on-one struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people. We like to say here, if it's flesh and blood, it's not the enemy. Because the battle is spiritual. He said, it's not against flesh and blood, against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's where your real battle lies. And if all you ever see is the physical part of it, you're missing the main battle. And when you miss the battle like that, guess what? You lose. So what we're going to do today is from this passage, we're just going to kind of scratch the surface, but we're going to look at three foundational truths from this passage. Three things that you need to get. And here's, here's, here's the bottom line. Whether you believe it or not, it's still true. Whether you choose to accept these as foundational truths or not, does not change that they are true. They're foundational truths. God has many principles in his word that people will not, they, I don't accept that. It's like, yeah, well, that really doesn't change it. Gravity is a law. Wouldn't it be really nice if I could say, I choose not to abide by gravity. I don't believe in gravity. And I jump off a building, guess what? I fall whether I believe it or not. 
Because there are certain things that are true. It's not like you can have your truth and I can have my truth. Truth is truth. If it's right, it's right. That's, that's the nature of truth. And so these are spiritual, uh, there's a spiritual war going on. And there are some foundational truths that whether you choose to accept it or not doesn't change the fact that they're true. Foundational truths from this passage. Here's the first one. If you're, um, if you're so inclined in your worship folder is an outline. The, most of the verses will be on this. There's also some fill-ins. And, and I always say that sometimes God says things that aren't on there that you need to write down because he, that's for you. But here's the first foundational truth. There is a spiritual heavenly realm all around us. There is a spiritual heavenly realm all around us. It can't be seen with our eyes. It can't be sensed with our senses, but it's just as real as anything that can be seen or touched. Ephesians 1 says this, verse 3, Let us give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for in our union with Christ, and that's very important, we're going to talk about that in a little bit. He's talking to people who are followers of Jesus. It's not about church. It's not about religion. It's about people who have been united with Christ. They are followers of Jesus. They not just believe, but they believed and received, as John 1 said, and become children of God. In our union with Christ, He has blessed us by giving us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly world. Same word as was used in Ephesians 6 um, in the original. It's the heavenly realm it, it, it is maybe an easier way for you to understand it. Um, and here's what it's talking about. It's not necessarily talking about heaven. can be, because that's part of the heavenly realm. But it's talking about this, this realm that we can't see that has an incredible impact on us. It has a heavenly impact on us. That's literally what the word means. We see, receive these spiritual blessings in the heavenly world. It has this heavenly impact on us from this spiritual realm. And we are interconnected with it even though we can't see it. And even if you don't believe it, you are still interconnected with it. You see, this verse teaches us it can have a good impact on us. We're followers of Jesus. He can give us these amazing spiritual blessings, this, this heavenly impact, this thing from that spiritual realm. It can also be that that unseen realm can have a very negative impact. And, and just because we choose not to see it or believe it doesn't change the impact that it can have on us. It says in 1 Peter 5.8, stay alert. Now, if, I, if this verse were later on in the message, I would have said that really loud. And I said, stay alert, because that would be the time that most of you were starting to drift off a little bit. And I'd want to say something to wake you up. He's saying this here to wake us up. Stay alert, he says. Watch out for your great enemy. Now, I'm going to stop there for a minute, because for them, they saw their great enemy. There was, that we, we've discussed recently in our series about the church, persecution all over the planet right now. Um, in, in the overwhelming majority of countries, there's persecution against the Christians. Some of them, some of the countries, the persecution is, you, you, if I told you, you wouldn't believe it. It's like, yeah, that, I wouldn't even believe that if it was in a movie. And it's happening today. These people, and it's ramping up today. These people back here, when this was written to them, when Peter wrote this to them, they were undergoing that first wave of persecution that was happening and they were being scattered all over. They're, they were being separated from families. They were watching family members die. And some horrendous things were happening simply because 
They chose to believe that Jesus was who he said he was. And he died and was buried, but he rose again. And they based everything on that. And they were willing to give their lives for it. So they saw the enemy. But here's what he says. Watch out for your great enemy. It's not Rome. It's not the religious leaders of the day who are persecuting them. He said, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. And then he describes him in these words. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, it's interesting because I really believe what Peter was, had in mind when he said that was something that was literally happening at that time. The Roman Colosseum, big, it's still you know, half-standing, this Colosseum that was built that would hold 50,000 people. And at this time, during this intense persecution of Christians, they were capturing Christians, dragging them off, dragging them there into the Colosseum. They were letting them out in groups, and letting the lions out. And 50,000 people would sit around and watch the lions attack and kill the Christians. That's, that was their sport. And when he says, your, your, your enemy is the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, I think Peter was referencing that because it gave them and us a, a really good word picture. It was for them a literal example of a spiritual truth. That you see how it's happening. That's kind of how it's happening. He said, you can't see the devil with your eyes. But if you could, this is what it'd be like. That's, that's this description, this lion prowling around. So because you can't see him with your eyes, you ignore him. And it does not make the threat any less real. He said, watch out. It's a stern warning because it's a very real threat. Just because you can't see it, doesn't mean you don't have to watch out. This unseen spiritual world, it's spoken of all throughout the Bible. All throughout Scripture it talks about this. It is interwoven with all of the events of humankind because it's real. We looked at one example recently. For me, it's a very vivid example, and I love, I love the picture of this. Um, when we talked about the beginning of the church, one of the first people to die for believing in Jesus was Stephen. And he was arrested and he gave his defense in, in Acts chapter 6, is like the longest recorded sermon. He gives this big, long uh, sermon, a message, here's what I believe, and I believe in Jesus. He died, he buried, he rose again. And because of that, they drag him out of town, and they're going to kill him. Stephen gets stoned. And that's back when they did it with rocks, and it hurt worse. <laughs> than how we get, Never mind, never mind. But here's what happens. In, in the very process of these people gathering around and literally taking rocks and throwing at him to kill him. It says in verse 55 of Acts 7, but being full of the Holy Spirit. He had the Holy Spirit in, in him because he believed and received Jesus. Being full of the Holy Spirit, it says he gazed intently. He had his eyes fixed. It said he gazed intently, and this is very important, into heaven. What most people think, oh, he looked up to the heavens. No, that's not what it says. It says he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And that, to me, is very important because the Bible tells us when Jesus died, he was buried, he rose again, a lot of people saw him, he walked around, ascended up to heaven, the church started. It said Jesus right now is seated at the right hand of the Father. 
That's, that's where he is physically present right now, seated at the right hand of God. And Stephen looks into heaven, and what does he see? He sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. This, to me, is mind-blowing. It's like Jesus stands up to welcome him home. And he looks in there, and he sees Jesus standing, and he says, Behold, I see the heavens opened, the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. This did a couple things. First, it really, really, really ticked off the people who were already mad at him. Because by using the phrase, the name, Son of Man, that was Jesus' most popular way that he described himself. He was clearly saying, this is not just a man. This is Jesus, the Son of God, fully man and fully God. That's what that term meant. And he said, I see him standing at the right hand of God. But it says, I see the heavens opened up. Imagine like scroll rolled back, opened up. He, from, from where he was at, saw the scroll rolled back and he saw heavens, the heavens, this heavenly realm opened up. You see, it was there the whole time. It doesn't say heaven came down and he was able to see heaven. Heaven is not up. It was there the whole time. At this moment, God opened Stephen's eyes so he could see it. That's incredible. It reminds me of a story in the Old Testament. It's not on the screen or in your outline. I just want to kind of hit a couple highlights for it. This is a fun story. I mean, it's gruesome and it's got bad stuff in it too, but it's, it's, it's a funny story. There's some funny stuff in it. Um, in 2 Kings 6, um, it's, a, it's, it's walking us through the history of Elisha this amazing prophet of God that did some amazing miracles. It starts out with one of his miracles that really um, speaks to me uh, because there was a group of prophets who came and, and they, they were going to um, cut logs up. They're going to cut the logs up and build a place to meet. And so Elisha says, yeah, go ahead and do it. So it's, while they're doing that, it says one of them was cutting a tree. His axe head fell into the river. And it's so funny because this is so me. When it falls into the axe, it flies off the axe, lands in the river, obviously sinks to the bottom, and the guy says, oh, sir, he cried, it was a borrowed axe. That's me. A lot of people will say, I have this. Would you like to borrow it? My answer is, before they even finish the sentence, my answer is no. Well, why not? I said, because every single thing I borrow breaks. It can be brand new. Doesn't matter. If I borrow it, it will break. That's what happened to this guy, and it was cool because Elisha takes a stick, throws it into the water where the axe head fell in, and the metal axe head floated to the top. And it was kind of cool because is that like some huge, amazing miracle that changed everybody's lives? No, it showed that God's interested in, in little things too. But the, the story then talks about the king of Aram, um, the, the, the Arameans. They were in this huge battle with Israel fighting. They'd go in and fight. They'd come in and fight. And everybody's killing everybody. It's just this big, horrible thing. And here's what happened. The king would get into his private chambers with his guys, his war room, his strategy room. And he'd say, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go over to this city over here. We're going to get our troops over there. And we're going to take that city. And it's so funny because every single time it happened, it says immediately, Elisha, the man of God, would warn the king of Israel, don't go near that place. For the Arameans are planning to mobilize their troops there. So the king of Israel would send word to the place indicated by the man of God time and again. Elisha warned the king so that he would be on alert there. Every time the king of Aram had this little meeting and told his little guys what was going to happen, the king knew about it because Elisha told him every time. Now, you can imagine that makes the king 
really mad. So he calls his officers together and he demands, which of you is a traitor? Who's been informing the king of Israel of my plans? It's not us, my lord the king, one of the officials replied. Elisha, the prophet in Israel, tells the king of Israel, even the words you speak in the privacy of your bedroom. And I see the king going, oh. (laughs) Trying probably to think back, what have I said recently that might not have been so good? He says, here's what we're going to do. I'm done with this. I want you to go find out where he is so I can send troops there to seize him. So they find, the report comes back. Elisha is at the city of Dothan. So one night, the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. And they did it like on the sly. You know, this was a, a covert operation. And they take all these horses and all these chariots and they sneak in overnight um, so that the next morning... Elisha has these people he's training, and one of them, it's, it just calls him the servant of the man of God. We don't even know what his name was. But the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, and there, all surrounding the city on the hillside, all the next morning he went out, there were troops and horses and chariots everywhere. So he knows it's like, uh-oh, this is big trouble. Sir, he says, sir, what, we would do, what will we do now? The young man cries to Elisha. And it's funny, Elisha says, don't be afraid. Don't worry. There's more on our side than on theirs. And I see, I see the, the guy, his servant, who said, I was just outside. None of those are ours. <laughs> they're all his. And they're surrounding the whole city. The king hasn't got his people here yet. Israel, the king of Israel. This is all of them. And it's so cool because he says, that there, there's, there's way too many. He says, nope, there's more on our side than yours. Then Elisha prayed. Oh, Lord, open his eyes. And let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes. And when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. You see, it was there the whole time. And Elisha knew it. He knew that there was a a heavenly realm, a spiritual realm that you can't see with your eyes. But he knew that the battle belonged to the Lord, not because there were physical horses and chariots out there, but because God had his army there. And he prayed, and the servant's eyes opened up so that he could see what was there the whole time. And it's funny, you can go back and read the rest of the story, because uh, one minute he's praying for the servant's eyes to be opened. The very next minute he's praying for all of those, the, the, the king of Aram's army, to have their eyes closed. And so all of a sudden, they're all blind. And they're like, what do we do? What do we do against anything? And, and Elisha goes out there, I can show you where we should go. <laughs> and they all follow him, and he leads them right into the, the king's camp. And when, when he prays then for them to have their eyes open, they have their eyes open and realize they're right in the middle of the enemy camp, surrounded by the enemy with all of the... It's a fun story, but you have to see how it ends. It's a surprise ending. But... The, the bottom line is, by the way, 2 Kings 6, if you want to go read that later. Um, all of those horses and chariots of fire were there already. He just got his eyes open so that he could see what was previously unseen. It was really there. He just couldn't see it before. You see, just because a person might not see it doesn't mean it's there. And so, for your viewing pleasure... And because the nerds in here need something Star Wars, I have a couple very short clips that I've put together to kind of reinforce this. It's not like universal truth. It's just Star Wars. So lighten up. But watch and listen for for these two very short clips. 
Kid, I've flown from one side of this galaxy to the other. I've seen a lot of strange stuff, but I've never seen anything to make me believe there's one all-powerful force controlling everything. There's no mystical energy field that controls my destiny. It's all a lot of simple tricks and nonsense. Your eyes can deceive you. Don't trust them. So here's the thing. The truth that I want you to get from that is not the force, all right? <laughs> the Star Wars is a lot of fun, all right? But the, the, the force as they portray it is not truth. It's just fun. Um, I don't know if you're aware of this. Um, George Lucas using the force. Did you know that um, about, I think, 40 years before Star Wars was written, C.S. Lewis wrote a book. He wrote a trilogy called the Space Trilogy. And in the second book of the Space Trilogy, which was written, I believe, in 1940, we're talking old school, he talks about the force. He even uses a capital F. So it's not a new idea by George Lucas. And by the way, if you're looking for some summer reading, Space Trilogy by C.S. Lewis, some of the best books, fiction books ever written because it teaches some really cool truth. Anyhow, side note, you don't have to pay for that. That's, extra. That's not extra. Here's the thing. Just like in the movie, Han Solo is because I've been everywhere and haven't seen it, it's not real. And in the movie, it was real, regardless of whether he'd seen it or not. And he says, your eyes can deceive you. Don't trust them. The truth is, there is a spiritual heavenly realm all around us, even if we can't see it with our spiritual eyes. And if you choose to ignore it, it will be to your detriment. So that's the first thing. The next foundational truth about spiritual warfare from this passage in Ephesians 6, our biggest problems in life are spiritual. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, he said. Our biggest problems in life are spiritual, but we need to be very careful here. I mentioned last week that same C.S. Lewis in, in his book, um, The Screwtape Letters. He talks about how um, humans have kind of, mankind kind of has the two, two things they gravitate toward, like equal and opposite errors when it comes to the devil and the army and the unseen world. He said they either completely ignore it and don't believe it, or they have a, like an unhealthy interest in it and they think about it all the time. I want to be very careful here because I understand that not all problems are spiritual. Some are physical. We don't need to, every time there's a problem, cast the demon of something out because that will solve the problem. That's not the way it is, you know. Tim needs to lose a little weight. You can all see that. Let's cast out the demon of fat. It's not the demon of fat, okay? It's cheesecake and donuts and stuff like that. It has nothing to do with demonic influence. I'd like to say the devil made me do it, but I did it, you know. The thing is, not all problems are spiritual. Some are physical. Some are brought on by just our own sinful human nature. Sometimes things happen to us because of just nature, because of the world the way it is. Sometimes because we live in a broken world, things happen. And we don't blame it on anything. It's just it happens. Sometimes, and we all know this, sometimes we're suffering and we're in a battle because of the choices of other people. They've made choices that cause us to suffer. But this is about balance and biblical discernment. Because there is a spiritual realm, there is a spiritual battle, although not everything needs a demon cast out. There are times for deliverance. There's also times for discipleship and learning 
what's true. But our biggest problems stem from the spiritual. And our real fight is spiritual. And the fake fight is the natural one. And here's the problem. Here's what we do. We fight the wrong battle. We fight the physical battle with the person we're having the problem with. That's not where the battle is. So I don't want you to get the wrong idea when I say that your biggest problems are spiritual. It's not like Hollywood, okay? It's not like your biggest problem is that somebody in your house is possessed by Satan and their head's spinning around and puking out green pea soup or whatever they do in, in the movies, okay? Satan, if you're a follower of Jesus, Satan cannot own you. He cannot possess you like in the Hollywood sense, okay? But, and this is a big but, he can control your life. He can gain control in your life. Now, if that sounds a little bit scary, it should. How does he do that? How can he get control in your life even if you're a follower of Jesus? Here's the key. Hear this. This is important. How does he gain control? We allow him in. Sometimes we actually invite him in. What happens is when we leave our door cracked just a little bit and we allow ourselves to be influenced by the lies of the enemy, twists our thinking and makes us susceptible to temptation and addiction and self-destruction. You see, there is truth in God's word and sometimes we'll choose to say, yeah, but I know better. I know God wants me to do this, but I want to do this. And we open the door and it's like the old salesman, you know, of a bygone era. They knock on a door. I'm selling vacuums. They open a door and the salesman sticks his foot in the door. So you can't close it. That's what the devil does. You open the door just to crack because you know better. I can handle this. This is okay. And Satan gets his foot in the door. So there is this spiritual heavenly realm all around us. Our biggest problems in life are spiritual. And here's the third foundational truth from this passage about spiritual warfare. Very important. The victory is found in your relationship with God. The victory is found in your relationship with God. It says, be strong in the Lord. That's where the strength come from, comes from, that relationship with Him. See, when you are saved, it's not about church it's not about going to church. It's not about religion. It's not about rules or regulations or rituals. I have a lot of people say, I hear you're a pastor. I don't like that religious stuff. It's like, yeah, me either. I don't like religious stuff. You know what I like? Jesus. Because he changed, religion never changed my life for the good. Jesus changed my life. And this is not about religion. What happens is when we're saved, when we recognize it's not about all those other things. It's about a relationship with God through Jesus. It's about, like John says, believing that Jesus who, was who he said he was. He came, he died for me. He was buried, he rose again. He's coming again. Not just believing those facts, but receiving them and say, I believe, Jesus, that you died on the cross for sin, but you died for my sin. You paid for my sin. And I'm going to turn my life over to you. And, and when you are saved, the Bible says you are sealed. You have a permanent indwelling presence of God. And the fullness of the power 
of the Holy Spirit is at your disposal every moment of your life. That's incredible power. See, it's not about you. You don't have it within you to win this battle on your own. What you do have is you have a kingdom authority from above you when you're a follower of Jesus. One of the things Jesus did is he had incredible leadership skills, and he took this ragtag band of 12 guys and literally turned the world upside down. And he had a plan. And the best way is to follow his plan. And he would, let, he would teach them, he would show them, he would have them do things. And eventually he got to the point where he was sending them out on mission and they would come back and then they would discuss it. And at, uh, he, he sent 72 of these disciples out. And in Luke 10, these 72, it says, when the 72 disciples returned from this mission Jesus sent them on, they joyfully reported to him, here was their big takeaway. Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. That was the biggest thing to them. I ha- it is a little thrilling, right? You see the, the, the results of, of some horrible demonic thing and you in Jesus' name say something and the demons obey you. That's a pretty big deal. But look at Jesus' response. Yes, he told them. And then he reminds them who he is. Yes, I, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning whether he's referring to the initial fall, whether he's referring to what will happen when Jesus defeats him on the cross or his ultimate defeat at the end, it doesn't matter. Jesus, Jesus sees all this. He says, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. I get this, guys. He said, look, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy. What's he talking about here? Spiritual warfare, right? That's what he's talking about. They're talking about the demons. They even obey us when we use your name, Jesus. Jesus is talking about that. I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy. And then he says, and this is so misinterpreted. And you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. And I want to stop right there for a minute. Listen carefully. This does not say that you can go walk among a snake or a scorpion and it won't hurt you. There's a word for messing with snakes and scorpions. It begins with stew and ends with pit. Okay? I hate snakes. I ain't messing with that. I lived in Arizona for three years. We had enough scorpions. I don't mess with those things. Jesus is not saying that you can pick up a snake and it won't bite you. Guess what happens if you pick up the wrong snake? He'll bite you. And you might die. He's not promising that that won't happen. He's talking about spiritual warfare here. He says, you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them, nothing will injure you. He's taught, we know he, the next verse is going to explain that, but he's talking about this way back in Genesis 3 when it starts predicting that the Messiah is going to come. Jesus is going to come, and he's going to set things right. He's going to pay for sin. At the very beginning, it starts talking about the fact it mentions, it describes Satan as a serpent. That's a snake, okay? It describes him as a snake. And it said, when, when Jesus comes, he will crush the head of the serpent. That was a prediction from early on. When Jesus is, is, is nearing the completion, that's what happens again. And that's what he ultimately does. And Jesus is saying, this is a spiritual battle. And the scorpions and the snakes, the, all this demonic stuff, not literal scorpions and snakes. He says, you can walk among this spiritual realm and it will not hurt you. You will crush them. Why? Because of Jesus. We know it's about a spiritual battle because verse 20, the very next verse, he says, but don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. 
He's talking about these evil spirits. Rejoice, and here's the key, because your names are registered in heaven. That's so much of a bigger deal than the, the, the spiritual forces being a little scared of you. Your name's in heaven. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have a relationship with God because of Jesus. That's where the power comes from. So here's what we take away from this. You have to choose. If you don't know Jesus, you have to choose Jesus because that's where you get the power. You believe that what he said about himself was true. You believe what the Bible says about him was true and you say, I don't understand it all, but I'm going to believe that Jesus died for my sins and receive him. And when you do that, you get that power. Does everything change instantly? No. I like to tell people, it took you a long time to get in the mess you're in. It might take a little while to get out of it. But the process starts. And he gives us the power to do that. But you have to choose what will influence you. Once you choose Jesus, it doesn't mean that the battle's over. The war might be won, but you're still going to have battles every day, and you have to choose what's going to influence you. This is part of the YBH, the yes, but how. Don't crack the door open so the devil can get his foot in. It won't end well. You choose error or truth. God's word is truth. I can't tell you how many people I've had say, you know, I've been struggling with this thing and I'm not sure if I should do it or not, so I prayed about it and God said I should do it. And what they're telling me that God said they could do was sin. And I'm not one to tell people God didn't say that to you. But in that case, I can very clearly say, God didn't say that to you. I prayed and God said I should rob that bank. God didn't say that to you. You know why? Because it disagrees with this. God's will never contradicts God's word. You can choose to disobey this. You can choose to break the laws. And guess what? You will be the one broken. It's just like we said, you, you, you get to choose, but you don't get to choose what truth is. You get to choose to accept it. Truth is truth. I, did I say this earlier? Truth is truth. Um, there are so many things in God's word that people say, I don't want to believe that. It's like gravity. I could, I could stand on the top of a building and say, that's not my truth. I choose to believe that there is no gravity. And jump off the building and guess what? Splat. Because whether I believe it or not does not change the fact that it's true. So you have to choose. Am I going to follow error knowing that I'm giving the devil a foothold, he's got a foot in the door, and it's not going to end well? Or do I choose the truth of God's word? Do I choose my flesh, which means my way, my selfish desires, the way I think is best, or do I choose God's spirit and allow him to lead me? I walk in the spirit so that I make the right choices. Because it's a choice that you have to make every single moment of every single day. Ephesians 5 gives us one particular example. It says, don't be drunk with wine. Now, stop right there for a second. Did that say don't drink wine? No. There are some people that I would tell you, don't drink wine. Because I see what happens to you when you do. Don't do it. The admonition here is don't be drunk with wine. If you can't drink wine without getting drunk, don't drink wine. Okay? But regardless, the result is what's important here. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. 
I have a feeling if we opened up the stage for testimonies, we would have a few testimonies on that today. Of how many times that decision has ruined your life or the life of people around you. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life instead. And this is an exact comparison. Don't be drunk with wine. That will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Filled with the Spirit is the exact opposite of drunk with wine. When you're drunk with wine, the wine is controlling you. You're making all kinds of bad decisions. When you're filled with the Spirit, that word means up to your maximum capacity, whatever that is. When you're walking in the Spirit and filled with the Spirit, the choices that you make will not lead you to ruin. They will lead you to a better way. He says, don't be drunk with wine. That will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And they struggled with that. We struggle with that. We struggle with many things. And John says um, in 1 John 4, he's talking to people who know Jesus, followers of Jesus. He says, you dear children are from God. They're already children of God because they believe in Jesus. You are from God and have overcome them, talking about these evil forces. Why? Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. That's huge. I can win the battles because the one who's in me is greater than the one who's in the world. So if that's true, if that's true for you, why are you still fighting the flesh so hard? Why are we still thinking that's where the battle is and that's where we're going all the time? I know about you, but there's been many times in my life where there was battles going on and, and the thing that I looked at was the, the, the physical, the flesh side of it. And I fought that. I'm not going to do that. I turn around and do it again. Not going to do that today. Turn around and do it again. Because the battle was not a physical battle. It was a spiritual battle. It's exhausting to fight the flesh, isn't it? To constantly feel like you're losing that battle because you are. Because that's not really where the battle is. When you see the real problem, you'll see the real solution. You know what the real solution is? Jesus. Jesus is the answer to the biggest problems in your life. It's not just being stronger. It's not pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. It's not making the same mistake today that you made yesterday. It's Jesus. You see, there is a spiritual heavenly realm all around us. That's a truth. Our biggest problems in life are spiritual, but the victory is found in your relationship with God. I'd like to ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes. I know, Father, that um, there are many here who get that, they believe that, they live like that, and they see victory in their life because of it. I know also that there's some who know that, but they don't live like that. Maybe they've chosen Jesus already. They haven't understood it all, but they've believed enough to receive you as Savior. They've seen that life change begin. They've seen, they've had their eyes opened up but they're choosing to fight the wrong battles. I pray that today they would recognize that it's about that relationship with you, to come into that relationship with you and to continue to improve that relationship with you knowing that that's where the victory comes from. And Father, anybody who's, who's hearing this now who's never made that first choice, we know we make choices every day, but if they've never made that first choice to let Jesus in, that that's why they're hearing this today that as you whisper in their ear with that still small voice, that's why I had you hear this. Because what you need is you need that power in your life. 
You need that forgiveness of sin. You need forgiveness from the past. You need meaning and purpose in life today and a living hope for the future, and that only comes through Jesus. And then in simple faith, they would turn to you. Say, Jesus, I'm turning from my way. I'm turning to your way. I don't understand it, but I'm placing it in your hands. And that they would be on that path to victory. Father, thank you for how you're working in us and through us here at this church. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand for the closing song. There is a spiritual heavenly realm all around us. Our biggest problems in life are spiritual, and the victory is found in your relationship with God. Here's the thing. We need our eyes opened. We need our eyes opened to this spiritual realm, but we also need our eyes opened to this relationship with God. One of my favorite verses, um, Psalm 119, 18, it says, open my eyes. Now, once we want our eyes open to the spiritual world, but this verse says, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your word. The key to the relationship with God is spending time with him. Once you've accepted Jesus, you spend time with him, you should be in this every day. You should be reading it, letting him speak to you through it. You're talking to him, he's talking to you, because the truth is it's a battle and you don't want to open the door and let Satan get his foot in the door. It never ends well. The only way to combat that is a relationship with God, and that comes through Jesus and spending time in the word of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love for us. I thank you that you have provided a way, not just for us to be able to escape the, the penalty of sin, but the power of sin in our life. That when we choose you, we get the, your spirit in us so that we don't have to be controlled by the wrong things anymore. And Father, our answer to you is yes. We want to choose your way. We want to choose the right things. And, and we know that because of that, we will receive those blessings from the heavenly realms. We love you. And it's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.